Hello and welcome to this episode of Bite-Sized Medicine. Let's review some laboratory tests that are valuable in the assessment of malabsorption. Just a warm-up skill keeper question. What are the symptoms associated with protein malabsorption? One is foul-smelling flatulence or stool. The other is edema or ascites. The other is bone pain, osteomalacia, or fractures, given the fact that protein and collagen is required for bone turnover and synthesis. And finally, the possibility of decreased libido and amenorrhea. All of this could be associated with protein malabsorption. Let's review some relevant tests to order based on the symptoms of malabsorptive syndromes. What are the tests for assessment of steatorrhea or a bulky light-colored stool? You can order fecal fat as well as lipid panel, especially serum cholesterol. You can also assess the fat-soluble vitamins levels such as vitamin A and vitamin D. What's the important measurement to consider in a patient with malabsorptive syndromes and diarrhea? Assessment of fecal fat plus assessment of stool or small all gap. More on a small gap on the assessment of different types of chronic diarrhea. What is the relevance of the xylose test? It helps distinguish the mucosal defects or bacterial overgrowth from the pancreatic or enzymatic deficiencies. By definition, blood and urine levels of these xylose are reduced in mucosal defects or bacterial overgrowth, but the level is normal in pancreatic insufficiency. Why is it so? Because these xylose absorption happens mainly in proximal small intestine. What are the tests to order in assessment of a patient with weight loss? and Trousseau or Chevostex signs, assessment of serum, calcium and vitamin D, but also magnesium. In a patient with symptoms of malabsorption and protein loss, what are the tests to order? Serum total protein and albumin, fecal, alpha-1 antitrypsin levels. What are the relevance of this last test? There will be an increased levels of fecal loss or fecal loss of alpha-1 antitrypsin. So because of the increased fecal loss, we have its levels in the stool elevated. Given the three major subtypes of malabsorptive syndrome pathophysiology, in which ones we have changes in serum albumin? Serum albumin is usually normal if the cause of malabsorption is impaired intraluminal digestion, but in mucosal disease and lymphatic obstruction, we have decreased serum albumin. Is there any exception to this rule? Yes. If maldigestion is due to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, it can also cause decreased serum albumin. As you know, a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth causes intraluminal consumption of nutrients as well as bile acid deficiency. More on this later. These xylose absorption would be abnormal or reduced in what types of pathogenesis of malabsorption. In mucosal disease, especially if involving proximal small intestine as well as in bacterial overgrowth, we have impaired desilose absorption. However, if mucosal disease is confined to the distal small intestine, given the fact that, as we mentioned, desilose is absorbed in the proximal small intestine, as well as in lymphangiectasias or enzymatic deficiencies or maldigestion, the desilose absorption will be unaffected and will be normal. Put it simple, it will be reduced only in small bacterial overgrowth as small intestinal bacterial overgrowth as 
well as mucosal diseases of the proximal small intestine. We have two types of breath hydrogen tests for the assessment of malabsorption. Discuss their relevance. We have lactose absorption or lactose tolerance test, which utilizes breath hydrogen measurement after lactose load. And then we have lactulose and glucose breath hydrogen test. Definitely the lactose tolerance test with breath hydrogen after load of lactose is diagnostic for lactose intolerance, but also in small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. On the other side, lactulose and glucose load for early appearance of hydrogen in breath is specific for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. True or false, secretin cholecystokinin stimulation test will result in abnormal tests if malabsorption is due to mucosal injury. That is false. It is by definition chronic pancreatic exocrine insufficiency that will result in impaired secretin cholecystokinin stimulation test. The other causes of pathogenesis of malabsorption, including mucosal loss or lymphangiectasis, will show normal results of secretin cholecystokinin stimulation test. True or false, stool fat test will show increased levels in all types of malabsorption. That's true. Impaired intraluminal digestion, mucosal disease, and lymphatic obstruction all will show increased stool fat. However, which type would show the highest concentration of stool fat? The impaired intraluminal digestion of fat usually results in more pronounced increased levels of stool fat in qualitative or quantitative tests. What's the relevance of stool elastase test? It helped distinguish pancreatic exocrine insufficiency, that means impaired digestion, from mucosal causes versus lymphatic obstructive causes of malabsorption. I'm going to refer to them as lymphatic, digestive, and mucosals for the sake of simplicity. Okay. Once more, what is the diagnostic value of stool elastase test in the assessment of malabsorption? While stool elastase level is normal in mucosal or lymphatic obstructive causes of malabsorption, when the cause is maldigestion, especially pancreatic exocrine insufficiency, the levels of stool elastase will be low in stool. Tests for assessment of parasites, such as stool ova and parasites or specific parasitic antigens, are useful for diagnosis of what specific specific infections, Giardia, Cystospora, Cryptosporidia, Microsporidia, and tapeworms as the cause of mucosal disease. However, it's also possible that we have infestation of the biliary cholangiopathy causing maldigestion. Once more discuss the changes of serum albumin in different types of malabsorption. In maldigestion, it's usually normal, except in the case of bacterial overgrowth, as we mentioned, but in mucosal disease and lymphatic obstruction, serum albumin can be low. Now let's briefly review the laboratory assessment of diarrhea. First off, how do we calculate the fecal osmolar or osmotic gap? 290 minus twice the sum of sodium and potassium. What is the relevance of osmolar gap? If the osmolar gap is elevated, which means more than 125 or 100 milliosmol per kilogram, it suggests osmotic diarrhea. However, if the osmolar gap is reduced to levels less than 50, it suggests secretory diarrhea. We mentioned most of the malabsorptive syndromes are associated with what type of diarrhea? With the osmotic type diarrhea. Therefore, what you expect to see the value of osmolar gap be, for example, in celiac disease or Vipol's disease, 
because it is an example of osmotic diarrhea, we have high or smaller gap to values greater than 100 or 125. While all the malabsorptive syndromes, including causes of reduced nutrient transport, are examples of osmotic diarrhea. What are the other examples? When the patient has ingested poorly absorbable agents, such as magnesium. Now, what are the examples of secretory diarrheas, mechanism, or pathogenesis? Either bacterial toxins, such as cholera, or neuroendocrine tumors, such as carcinoid syndrome, VIPoma, as well as intestinal ischemia, such as diffuse mesenteric ischemia, or conditions that shorten the transit time in the GI tract. Now, a very important question. While we mentioned most of the causes of malabsorption are associated with osmotic diarrhea, is there any exception to that rule? Yes. When the malabsorption is due to reduced surface area or increased speed of peristalsis or decreased transit time, we could have secretory diarrhea by definition. What are the examples of malabsorptive conditions that we have secretory, not osmotic diarrhea? When we have loss of intestinal surface area, such as all the intestinal mucosal diseases or intestinal resections, even though we mainly have reduced transport and absorption of nutrients, we could also have secretory diarrhea. Again, the examples of such malabsorptive syndromes that may have a possible secretory type diarrhea include any condition with loss of intestinal surface area and conditions with rapid intestinal transit, such as post-vagotomy. But remember, in general, when you are given examples of malabsorptive syndromes, even if they include diffuse mucosal diseases such as celiac and Whipple's disease, and definitely when it is maldigestion such as pancreatic insufficiency or laxative abuse, always remember you have the osmolar type diarrhea with high osmolar gap. Okay, enough with the osmolar gap assessment of diarrhea. What are the other tests, especially beginning with the initial workup of diarrhea? Initial tests for assessment of diarrhea, especially the chronic type, include CBC, electrolytes, liver function tests, and uh, thyroid stimulation hormone, or TSH. This is then combined with initial stool studies, including fecal leukocytes and fecal occult blood testing. Then, whenever you have chronic watery diarrhea, you assess the osmolar gap, and then additional tests are based on the patient's clinical symptoms. Give examples. For example, if a patient has diarrhea, in the case of symptoms compatible with inflammatory bowel disease, we order fecal calprotectin. What are the tests to order in a patient with diarrhea after hospitalization or recent antibiotic use? CD stool toxin assessment. If a patient is suspected to have abused laxatives, what are the tests to do? In addition to smaller gap, you order stool laxative screen. What are the first two tests or one test to order in a patient suspected of malabsorption as the cause of diarrhea? Fecal fat or sudan stain. What is the one test that you should order if a patient has chronic diarrhea and iron deficiency anemia on CBC panel? You have to assess for celiac disease with tissue transglutaminase IgA. And now finally, let's quickly review the clinical hints for assessment of inflammatory diarrhea. If a patient with diarrhea of especially inflammatory type, which is indicated by presence of stool leukocytes and their markers, and has a couple major categories such as diverticulitis, IBD, and infectious disease, or ischemic colitis, or 
other types of colitis, such as radiation colitis. Again, what are the five major categories of inflammatory diarrhea? Diverticulitis, IBD, infectious and inflammatory, and ischemic type, possibility of also radiation colitis or neoplasia. When the cause of this inflammatory diarrhea is infections, there are certain clues. So let's review those clues and finish this review. If a patient has inflammatory type diarrhea with symptoms of renal failure or bleeding, abnormalities, indication for HUSTTP, what are the causative organisms? Shigatoxin producing E. coli and also as the second cause, Shigella dysenteria, which is not common in the United States. A patient with diarrhea has reactive arthritis. What is the possible organism involved? This is reactive arthritis. The term enteropathic spondyloarthropathy or spondylitis is usually the IBD-associated spondylitis. So again, the patient has symptoms of reactive arthritis plus diarrhea. The symptoms of reactive arthritis include arthritis, uveitis, conjunctivitis, and urethritis. And this is followed by an enteric infection by, for example, Campylobacter, Salmonella, Shigella, Yersinia, or even Chlamydia. What was spondylotic, uh, excuse me, what is enteropathic spondylitis? When a patient has ankylosing spondylitis-like disease in association with IBD, okay? If a patient has diarrhea with bone marrow suppressive symptoms, what's the possibility? A patient could have Salmonella typhi or Parotyphi. What about diarrhea in the setting of Guillain-Barré syndrome? A patient could have Campylobacterosis, Campylobacter jejuni infection. A patient with diarrhea and toxic megacolon, what is the possibility? Colostrum difficile. If a patient has diarrhea with intestinal hemorrhage and perforation, especially in, as we discussed, the setting of inflammatory diarrhea, it is usually due to Salmonella typhi and Parotyphi or TB enteritis. If a patient has inflammatory diarrhea with right lower quadrant tenderness, what's the diagnosis? That's Yersinia. So of course, we are talking about Yersinia intercolitis. If a patient has diarrhea of inflammatory type with cellulitis, what are the involved pathogens? Vibrio vulnificus and other vibrios. If a patient has chronic or inflammatory type chronic diarrhea, patient also could have a syndrome called post-infectious IBS. And remember, all the infectious causes of diarrhea, including the viral causes, could be a culprit. Okay, this finishes our review of the laboratory assessment of malabsorptive syndromes and diarrhea.